heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more podcast platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Anyway, folks, welcome back to another episode of YWC Football Talk. Uh, today, this is all Patriots, Patriots Draft, and who better to talk Pat's Draft with than from Pat's pulpit, Ryan Spagnoli. Ryan, welcome back to the show. How are we feeling today? Good, man. How are you, Griff? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Just uh, kind of that post-draft withdrawal. It's kind of like Christmas almost, or like a, when you're planning like a boys' trip for a weekend and like months and months of planning and thought go into it, and then all of a sudden it's just – like in a snap, it's gone. Like it's just yeah. That's it a, happened. that's a really that's a really good way to put it. I've never uh, I've never thought of it that way, but that that's pretty spot on, and it's 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 true, right? It's uh, a lot of build up, a lot of different scenarios, right? There's so many mock drafts and uh, information out there, and then a Thursday comes, and for the most part, we were on the edge of our seat the entire time, waited a while, and then Friday comes and Saturday, and then it's over, and then now it's you know focused on OTAs and. Um, kind of the off-season work and then, you know, getting into training camp in a few weeks. But it's kind of that downtime. Uh, it's pretty nice. <laughs> exactly. I know football's a uh, – sorry if you get my dog's going crazy in the background. Um, and it's like that down – like we were talking about this right before we started off camera, that it's kind of that downtime before the uh, season starts. Like obviously, rookie minicamps, like Patriot, like some are going this weekend, Patriots start next weekend. But for the most part, I would just say, like, look, yeah, it's a slow time of year. But you know what? Before we know it, the season will be here. But you're right. Thursday was the first time for a draft where I was literally on the edge of my seat, where it was just like, okay, what's Detroit going to do? Okay, Sewell. Then eight, when Carolina went horn, I'm just, like, waiting. Because I wanted fields. But then when Chicago traded up, I just, like, had this, like, pit in my stomach. And then his name was announced. And it wasn't even, like, mad or anything. It was just, like, it was a little, little disappointed. Yeah, I think I think uh, to be honest with you, man, it, as much as we wanted to it to happen, as the the kind of the weeks went on, um, you start diving into some things with him. I don't think there was a real fit there. Um, I I think they, and that's no disrespect to him. He's a great player. I was really high on him. I would have loved him here. But when you kind of dive into what they look at in the quarterbacks, Mac Jones checks all the boxes. I, I guess we all should have seen it coming, but I think a lot of people fell into that trap of him going number three. Um, and the Patriots were very fortunate to get him at 15. Um, I think if both of those guys were on the board at 15, I think they would have went Mac. And I think if Mac or if Mac wasn't there and Fields was, I think they probably would have moved out. I, I actually don't think there was a, a scenario where Justin Fields ended up in New England. Um, solely because of the things, like I said, I don't think there was a true fit there. I think Mac Jones was their guy and their guy from the start. Uh, when you really dive into the tape and see some of the things he does, you know, everyone gets mad when you throw the Brady comparison out there. But and when people say it, it's not, hey, he's going to come in and win six Super Bowls and be the best, you know, second best quarterback ever. It's just his feel for the pocket is his, uh, you know, understanding of how to run an offense, the pre-snap adjustments, the, you know, changing the protection pre-snap. It's little things like that where you say, I, you know, I've seen this before and, and it worked. Right. So uh, I think they honed in on him. That, Obviously, probably got really good intel from Saban, but given the, the relationship there. Um, and, you know, the more you read about him, the more you watch, the more you like. Uh, and I think they, 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 this was an absolute slam dunk pick, and I'm super excited for it. 
you know what, like when I said the field thing, it's just because like I thought that's where they were going and stuff. But then once they drafted Mac, I was in the moment, I was like, you know what, like it's not exactly what I wanted originally, but then I warmed myself up to the idea of it. And then I just literally put in like Mac Jones highlights from 2020. And I, the two things I noticed right away was just like you said, his pocket awareness is great. Like there was a lot of those balls where he used to get in a blindside hit was coming his way. Still managed to get an absolute cannon. And that's the other thing too, like I just said, the kid can chuck. He can chuck the ball. And like, that's what you want in a quarterback. Now, I agree with you with the Tom Brady comparisons that they play a very similar style. And I heard this on the Paul Pitt draft show where it's going to be a lot of yak. It's going to be a lot of those like short outlet passes, but if they want to let him fly and just release the ball, he's going to be able to do that too. So, and it's also the pick where I don't expect him to come in and start right away. Like if Cam's week one starter, I'm fine with it. But one play I thought of was if this in the Saints box playoff game from last year, you know, there was that one play where Winston came in, he threw that pass that Chicago tried to trick play New Orleans a week prior. I can see them doing something like that with Mac, where if they're in like a third and 15 situation, you don't want to bring him in and just get like a 15, 20 yard completion, just keep the drive moving forward. And then you put Cam back in. Yeah. I think with them, they'll be super patient with them. Um, it's an investment. You have five years. That's the beauty of having a, a first round pick. You get the five years of team control. Um, obviously, there's going to be a lot of weight on his shoulders, um, just considering that, the, you know, he's the highest ever offensive player drafted by Belichick, first ever quarterback. He's deemed as the quarterback of the future, the next Brady type. Um, so they're not going to they're not going to throw him in there in any moment unless they feel he's truly ready. And if that comes in training camp and he wows people, I mean, you read more about his preparation and how quick he can, you know, pick up things and pick up an offense. There's a true, there's a, certainly a possibility there, but I think, um, you know, being patient, learning how to be a pro, learning how to, you know, prepare from a week to week. It's, it's a lot different from the college game, uh, a lot longer of a season. Um, I think they're in a really good shot, really good hands. And, and I'm, you know, me, I'm not the biggest Cam Newton guy, uh, but when they did bring him back, I had said, you know what, if they're bringing him back with plans to draft a quarterback in the first round and have him sit under him, learn how to be a professional, a leader, develop into a professional, uh, I'm on board with that. So I'm cool with it. Like I said, if, if things start to go south week five, six, and he's ready to go, I'm sure they'll be, you know, Cam will be on a quick trigger, but they will be patient at the same time. Exactly. And also, too, I don't think they're going to do any more of that. You know what? If Cam's playing bad in the game, they're not going to pull him and just throw Mac into the fire like they did with Stidham last year, which was very unfortunate. But I think like I just said the hypothetical of like, hey, this may or may not happen. But you know what? If they let him just ma marinate, if you will, I know it's a really different term, but that's how I can see it. Let him work with all the guys because even too, most of their offensive weapons are locked up long term. So he can get those practice reps with guys like Bourne and Aguilar, Myers, Henry, Smith, et cetera. But just moving on now to the second round, this was a slam dunk. Just I love it pick like with uh, Christian Barmore and the moving up to 38. Like, look, I know I love people that were saying, oh, we had to give up a lot. But the one thing I learned was, look, the Patriots needed to give up some draft picks just because of the, um, the amount of players. I think they only have like, I think it was 10 or 13 roster spots left. So to give up a couple of fourth round picks, I don't think was the total end of the world. Plus two, we get a great guy with Barmore who I think can start day one. Yeah. He'll be, he'll be a rotational player. He'll play day one. He's a day one impact guy. Um, that was a top 20 to 25 player. They got a 38 fell out just because I think, uh, you know, the corners went off the board and it just didn't fall in his favor. It wasn't a very deep defensive tackle class. So I think a lot of people had assumed, 
he'd go a little bit sooner. Uh, but to your point about the, you know, the price to move up, um, you knew they were going to use those three fourth rounders in some way, some form to, to play around and move up or down the board. Um, like you'd said about the roster spot. So um, that was a great pick. And I think if they were to sit at 46, he wouldn't have made it there. I'm sure they had teams uh, behind them at 38 that, you know, they'd assume would, would take a chance on him. Uh, but that's a first round talent that you got at 38. Uh, someone that I don't think he or anybody had expected to hear his name called on Friday, more so Thursday. Um, but yeah, a guy, like I said, they got ran all over, especially towards the end of last year. This is a guy who can take on double teams, get after the quarterback, eight sacks in 11 games, uh, really good player. Uh, so I'm super excited. They obviously have guy locked up. That's a four-year contract. You know, he's towards the end of his career. That probably really isn't a four-year deal. It's probably more backloaded money for cap reasons. Uh, Henry Anderson, Devin Godshaw. Um, so he'll get some reps in there, but I, I could see, you know, by the halfway point, Christian Barmore is playing 75 to 80% of uh, defensive snaps. 100%. Because even too, I always thought Anderson and Godchow was kind of those like rotational, like third down pieces where you just kind of plug and play them. But even too, moving on, and then with 96, we took uh, Ronnie Perkins from Oklahoma, the edge, who I think that's more of a rotational piece kind of like work on. But I think the scheme he played at Oklahoma to the scheme he played at the Patriots, it's going to be much different, but also to more suited to his skill set as a whole. Yeah, that's a top 60 player that fell for, you know, got suspended for, I, I'm not even really sure that the real reason, but, you know, a typical Patriots pick guy falls that they feel is a top player in the draft for, you know, character or suspension or whatever reasons they get him in the building, they mold him into that, you know, Patriot way sort of culture. Uh, and he figures out this is a guy who plays at a high motor, can get after the quarterback. Uh, that front seven's absolutely loaded with depth. You know, you get now off the edge, you got Judon, Winovich, Uche, Dietrich Wise, now, now you know, Ronnie Perkins. So, um, you know, loading up for the future, I think they, that that was kind of their their plan heading into days two and three where, hey, we got some really good players right now, but we could also use some some youth there. I think they did that with McGrone. Uh, that's more of a 2022 pick because he's rehabbing that knee. Uh, but a middle linebacker, somebody that could play in the heart of your defense, plays downhill. So, uh, I like their plan, uh, particularly the, the two, second and uh, third days, simply because, you know, some of those guys aren't maybe going to contribute as a rookie, but these are guys that you can get in your building and can be key pieces moving forward when some of your, you know, your core guys now start to get a little bit older and, and, and the role opens up for them. Exactly. And even we saw that, too, with uh, Ramondre, Ramondre Stevens, excuse me, going in the fourth round. And obviously Sony's option was picked up due to injury. But look. When I'm hearing the LeGarrette Blunt comparisons with him, like I can't do anything but smile. Like, because that was the one big issue last year with Cam was there was a lot of those hits where linemen would be coming after him or an edge and they would basically just get to him and he'd cower. Meanwhile, now if you have Stevens in there with him, he's going to be able to be great in pass protection. That I saw was Keegan's guy, like just to reference you guys. But another pick I think they really hit on here when I didn't think they were going to draft a running back, but then I talked to Keegan a few days before the draft and he kind of changed my mind on that. Yeah, that, that's the biggest thing with him. He's an early down back, can handle the load, you know, uh, short yardage situations, really good in pass protection. I mean, he's 240 pounds. He can take on an edge. He can take on a big guy and protect the quarterback. Uh, that's something James White was very good at. Obviously, he's a little bit undersized, but um, this can kind of help take the load off of, of uh, you know, Damian Harris, who's had some injury concerns his first two years. We know when he's on the field what he's capable of, but uh, from a true pass protection uh, Ramondi Stevenson can really help them out. And especially, like I said, in those short yarded situations, pick up two, three yards, really wear that defense down with, with his big body. 
Yeah, exactly. Just kind of that guy where he kind of gets like gets in and just kind of even moves the play a couple of yards more than you think he like think what someone would get. And you do I like that where say for example, if you have Harris get first and second down, and then say if they're like third and two, you put Stevens in there just to run the ball through and get the just keep extending the drive. Sure. Yeah, no, that that's that's his uh that's his bread and butter. Exactly. And then even too, you got guys like Joshua Bledsoe, William. I'm trying to remember his name. I think it's Shatter is his last name from Colorado. I, I feel like those guys are good. It's the same thing too. bring them in young, develop them. And we're not expecting them to start right away, but you need guys like that, that look, you can build to have later on in the roster, even too. I think Shatter could potentially be a rotation piece, but we'll ultimately see. Yeah. That's, you can never have too much tackle depth. Obviously uh, Wayne and Brown are on one year deals, essentially with well, Wayne's option got picked up, but you yeah. a big payday in two years. Trent Brown's on a one year deal. Uh, you like what you saw from Justin Heron, but can he be that true swing tackle and really fill in when those tackles go down? So, um, you know, in those fifth, sixth, seventh rounders, you're kind of just throwing darts. If they pan out, they pan out. I mean, look at Onwenu last year. Um, you know, Joan Bentley was a fifth rounder. I think he gets a lot of um, unnecessary slack on his game considering where he was drafted and what he's capable of. But, yeah, with those, it's trying to find depth. And if, you you know, you strike a diamond in the rough, it's great value. Exactly. And uh, then there's the last pick of the draft, Trey Nixon, obviously the famed Ernie Adams pick, which we don't, well, hopefully we find out the secrets one day of his success, but where, where do you see Trey going? Like, where do you see him really being plugged into the roster? Yeah, it's tough. Those seventh rounders are tough to, 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 you know, crack that 53 man roster. If they can get him through waivers, he might be a practice squad guy. Um, I haven't watched too, too much about him. I know some people did some threads on him and, and, you know, dove into his film a little bit, but, I mean, they took a receiver. Granted, it was the seventh round. First one they've taken since Nikhil Harry, I believe. So uh, that's a guy, crowded receiver room, as crazy as it sounds. Um, but it'll be tough for him to, to truly make that 53-man roster right out of camp. If he can contribute on special teams and separate himself in other ways, great, all the power to you. But that might be a developmental guy that maybe they can sneak through waivers and, and develop on that practice squad. Exactly. That's something I would – that's the perfect thing I would say, too. Like, I didn't know too, too much about him. Like you said, a lot of those seventh-round guys are just – you're throwing like kind of you're shooting and it's blanks in the dark or even too. It's just a shot on a dartboard where you don't know what you're going to get, but look, if they pan out, they pan out. And if they don't, then it's, it just is what it is. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And even too, like I just brought up the whole Ernie Adams retirement thing. I feel like maybe we'll learn about the pink stripes one day, but you know what? I feel like it's probably one of the most unnoticed character guys in the room, just when it comes to the draft, like Patriot fans know about him, but I don't know how, too, too many people outside of Patriot circles really know what kind of genius he's created. Yeah. I mean, you heard for years, uh, whenever there's a big, um, whenever Ernie Adams comes on the headset, everyone says, shut the fuck up, basically, you know, like listen to Ernie. Uh, but this is a guy who he developed, you know, scouting reports. He wrote a book on the, you know, the book of scouting, um, just a behind the scenes guy that really never wanted much credit. Um, we didn't really hear too, too much about him till, you know, the late 2000s, but his impact on the dynasty, his impact on, on this organization uh, goes much further than, than, you know, what he does. I don't think anybody really knows. I know his, his title was director of football research or something like that, or player research. Uh, but that's a guy who is smarter than anybody in the game of football. And I think a lot of the success on and off the field uh, is due to Ernie Adams. Exactly. And the other thing I got to say, too, is I going back to the Mac Jones pick, I like it as well, because it just kind of silences the Jimmy rumors, like for as much as we like have a special place in our hearts for him. It's just the fact that his contracts there and what it would have learned, what we would have had to do to get him off the or 
who we would have had to take off the books to acquire him. I'm glad to just all that quarterback dramas put the bed and it's not a year to year thing. Like, Hey, look, we've got like a five-year window. Yeah. I think um, to be honest, man, I was hearing uh, before the draft, if you know, with the assumption under the assumption, Mac Jones is going three. Uh, I think their, 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 uh, their plan was to move back and accumulate more picks um, to then go after Jimmy Garoppolo on day two or three of the draft and, and kind of soften the blow of the capital, maybe a two and a four would have costed him. Uh, so I think Jimmy Garoppolo was in their plans until Mac Jones started to, to slide down the board. That was kind of one, a one B type of situation. So um, I think if Mac Jones isn't here right now, we'd be Jimmy Garoppolo may, may be a Patriot. Uh, I think that was kind of in their plans as kind of a plan B. They might have uh, beggars can't be choosers and they would have had to work something out with 49ers. Exactly. And uh, either way, there'd be a quarterback wearing number 10 in Foxborough this coming yeah. uh, fall. Yep. Yeah. Yep, um, yeah. Even though we were talking to earlier too, how like, oh, look, the, the off season's here. Like this is like the true off season where there's not a whole, whole lot going on up unless you're a Packers fan, but we won't get into that. Um, with the schedule coming out next week, I just wanted to ask you like a random question off the top of your head. If you were to pick someone or think who you think will be in the building week one, if the Pats are hosting, who would you, who would you pick? I would say Buffalo. Um, it's been a while. They, they, I think that'd be a pretty good game. You can make it the Sunday night game. I think, you know, Buffalo's kind of that team on the rise, took a major step forward last year with the Patriots, I think, are, you know, still considered the, the, the kings of the AFC East until the Bills start to consistently win this thing. So uh, I think from a viewership standpoint, that'd be great. I think they'll wait, push the Brady game out into November, December, when both teams are really hitting their stride. Um, so, yeah, if I had to guess, I'd say Buffalo week one. All right, all right. What I think could be potentially week one in Sunday Night Football as well is that game against the Dallas Cowboys, the added in 17th game. I know it's kind of like random, but I just think if you get two teams like that, especially if you're considering I think, I think Dallas plays the Giants every week one. I think that might be a tradition for them. Oh, yeah, I know. I have a few friends who are Giants fans, and they hate that. Yeah. I just thought of it because I was like, you know what, Crafton and Jones are the two architects, really, if you will, behind oh, the TV sure. deals. So yeah. I feel like to put them in there, plus two, Patriots-Cowboys – Sells itself. Uh, I would have liked to have seen them flex the rules to have it be uh, Patriots Bucks Week One, but I saw some people suggesting Thanksgiving Night, which I am totally against. Yeah, I don't think it can be Pat's Bucks because um, typically they have that Super Bowl winner for yeah. the first game of the year Thursday night, and Tampa's coming to Foxborough, um, so Tampa could play the Saints or something like that. That that game will be home for them. That that should be the first game of the night of the week. Oh, I know. I, I know that'll be the Thursday night game, like Tampa. I'm just saying it would be nice to see them, like, you know, change the rules around just because, oh, yeah. you know, not even just Patriot fans are going to be watching that game. Everyone's going to be. And then the whole build-up all week of, oh, what's going to happen, like, with Brady shaking hands and everything, when we all know all along, Brady's Brady shaking hands with everybody on our sideline. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that, that'll, be, that'll be hyped up all week. I think uh, middle of the season would be great. Yeah, like, you know what, how I said Thanksgiving, I feel like if you do it maybe right around week – eight or nine even or somewhere somewhere in there like right after the trade deadline in area. yeah november december right like week 10 11 i think is a good spot for that game exactly that's all i could say i just wanted to ask that just to feel because like look for as much as i love the draft and stuff i always like schedule release because i always like look to plan out my things but i like your suggestion of uh buffalo to open the season up because i don't think we've opened up against buffalo since i think 2008 or 2009 yeah, it was the I I believe if I'm not mistaken. I think the last the last time we opened up with them was uh, Brady's first game back from his ACL. So yeah, that would be 09. Um, I don't know if they played Week One since then, but that'd be a pretty good game. 
Yeah, no, I, I, you know what? I'm on board with it. So I guess we just have to wait until next week to see what happens and then see some crazy outlandish prediction of what our record could potentially be by uh, yeah. one Adam Rank. Yeah, for sure. You go week to week and see what they are yeah. and, and when Mac Jones might might come in. <laughs> exactly. But uh, before I get you out of here, do you think the ceiling for their wins has really changed after the draft and free agency? Or do you think it's still around like like best? Like what's your best case scenario? I think best case scenario is 10-11 wins. Um, you know, when you look at it, considering they won seven games last year, they were a couple turnovers away from winning two to three more. Um, you know, you you expect Cam to be better than last year, given the talent around him now. So um, I think if Cam Newton's your quarterback for, for 16 or 17 games now, um, I think 10-11 wins is, is doable. Uh, I think 11 is probably their ceiling. Uh, I think they'd fold around 9-10. Uh, if he's the quarterback for the entire year, got you know, Mac plays and he's ready and, you know, things can change. But I think given if Cam is your quarterback uh, for the entire year, I think you're looking at around nine, 10 wins. Exactly. Because even I have a bunch of teams that I think can finish anywhere from fifth in the AFC to 10th in the AFC. So I feel like they can be in that. They'll be in that like wild card bubble unless Buffalo takes a significant step back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, Ryan, I just want to thank you once again. I know you're a very busy man taking some time <laughs> on your schedule to join me to talk some Pats. Uh, enjoy the Bruins game tonight. I can see by your hat you guys are getting ready for the playoffs down there too, just like I am with the uh, boys up north. Hopefully we finally win a round. We'll find out in a few weeks. Maybe we'll see you in the cup, man. Maybe we'll see you in the cup. I, maybe we'll, we will, but I feel like I won't be seeing any of you guys on social media. Just we'll, I, we'll, get a little, we'll get a little side bet going if, if we do. I'll send you something. You send me something. You know what? I like the sounds of that. We'll uh, we'll cross that bridge if we ever get there. But uh, anyway, Ryan, thanks once again for coming on YWC Football Talk, and uh, have a good night. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com.